eternal life. Everybody tell me, that according to John 17, 3, the definition of eternal life is what? To know God. Eternal life. Jesus says, and this is eternal life. I mean, like a, like a big billboard. This is eternal life. To know God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Isn't that, it couldn't be any simpler. We make it, we make our faith, we make our our Christian experience so complicated and it's just this is eternal life know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent to know him and to be known by him and it happens when we're like this when all the noise goes away all the, all the fear gets wiped away and you're just, it's just you sitting in Jesus' lap. This is eternal life. Couldn't be any safer. Couldn't be any more loved. We just need to take some time for him to remind us. Linda said she heard something special from God uh, that she'd like to share with us now. And this, I'm gonna, you can pick this microphone up right here off the communion table and push the on button up. Yeah, that should work. That's it. Well, it doesn't have a green light. It does work. It does work. We are professionals. <laughs> okay, during praise and worship, you know, when I was just just worshiping the Lord like that, and He kept saying to me. Yes, he did. This is my house of rest. This is my house of rest. I didn't call this house for programs and classes and all the things going on out there. This is my house of rest. For those who are burdened and heavy and all that, they can come in and enter my rest. And he kept saying, don't worry about the others. Don't worry about what's going on over there. I've got plans for them too. But this house is special to me because my children can come in and rest and find my peace amidst the storm. There's so much going on in in these cities and got to do this, got to do that. But they can come out into the country, come into my presence and rest. And that's what I call this church, my house of rest. So don't worry. Don't compare yourself with others. I didn't call you to be uh, like others. I called you to be my house of rest. They can enter in and find my peace. God is good. So let's don't worry about what's going on over there. We are called for rest, for peace. So the theme of today's sermon is 
<laughs> set it on stun. That's right. Um, this is the sermon title, um, and you'll understand soon enough why. Uh, do you know, there are some people, if you, if you care at all about the Star Wars saga, the Star Wars franchise, there are, I think there's general consensus among that group of people that of all the Star Wars movies, from the very beginning all the way up until the latest ones, um, that The Empire Strikes Back, which was the, the second in the original trilogy, was probably the best of all the Star Wars movies. It's the best written, best produced, best acted, and um, the, the story is right here. It is a dark time for the rebellion because although the Death Star has been destroyed, Imperial troops have driven the rebel forces from their hidden base and pursued them across the galaxy. The, everybody at the end of the first movie was like, Yay, we blew up the Death Star against all odds. And C-3PO is going to be okay. And R2-D2 is going to be okay. And the Death Star was blown up and, and the, the, the Empire was crushed. The Empire was humiliated by... The empire wasn't completely wiped out. Um, and so the empire strikes back. The second movie is the empire strike, striking back, chasing, using their still considerable resources to hunt down this still tiny rebellious force to find out wherever, find them wherever they were and destroy them. And they tracked the, the remaining uh, central command structure of the rebellion to what planet? Not Tatooine. That's a good name for a planet, but it's, it's in the first. Um, the snow planet is called Hoth. Hoth, the snow planet. Um, and... And they thought, so, so the full force of the empire cornered the rebellion and started just blowing things up and smashing things to bits. And as we all know, we all know, remember that last memorable scene of the Empire Strikes Back where uh, um, Han Solo was encased in what? Carbonite. He was encased in carbonite. Uh, which kept him in a state of suspended animation uh, so he would be rescued in the third movie. Okay, so what does any of this have to do with the book of Acts? You may be asking yourself. Um, um, so let's remind ourselves before we find out the answer to that question. Um, I'm going to punch this one more time. All right. So I just want to keep reminding you, Acts chapter 1 through 8, it says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all around the world. But we've, we've kind of tr 
change the translation, we paraphrase it, the Holy Spirit will give the ability to tell what you've experienced everywhere you go with miraculous results. We're going to go places with Jesus. Jesus is going to take us places, maybe Brook Hollow Christian Church, and there'll be, we will tell our story, and there will be miraculous results. God will work through our, our words, through the power of His Spirit, and He will touch people where they need to be touched, and they'll be changed in miraculous, sometimes miraculous ways. And believe me, I just have to tell you this. Um, Penny has sort of personally struggled with how do we get people to catch this vision in Brook Hollow to just trust God, to just trust God, and just so wrapped up in the do better, try harder, just trust God. How can we get them to just trust God and not worry so much about all the nuts and bolts? And um, they, they just can't seem to get past the bad news and focus on the good news sometimes. Well, yesterday, Peggy and I got a chance to tell our story. The Holy Spirit showed up. They were like different, completely different people when they walked out the door. To hear, to hear that one fellow, wonderful man, just wonderful, faithful to Jesus and knows the Bible, to, to, see, to hear him say, you know what I'm going to start doing from now on? Trust Jesus. We've just been so overwhelmed lately with trying to fix all these problems. We've got nothing but problems in this church, and we're trying so hard to just stay alive. God reminded me today, God showed me that he can do exceeding abundant beyond anything I ask or think. I've been praying the wrong prayers. I've been praying the wrong kind. My faith has been focused on the wrong things. I'm, I'm, I'm going to expand my horizon and start trusting Jesus instead of being controlled by do better, try harder. You go. What? Yeah, maybe we should all try that. That's great advice. Um, anyhow, we went, we just shared our story. The Holy Spirit showed up, showed up and, I, and I know that Penny would say there were some miraculous results that happened uh, during that retreat. Thank you, Jesus. But remember last week, um, <clears throat> there was a prophet named, everybody, the prophet was named Agaba, Agab, Agabas, Agabus, um, and uh, Agabus Christi. Uh, and he got a prophetic word from the Lord that predicted a famine and it took place during the reign of Claudius and it came in plenty of time for the Christians at Antioch, the new, brand new Christians who were just nobodies, to take a big offering up and send it back to Jerusalem to take care of the people at Jerusalem who had no income and no source of, of sustenance when the famine hit. So another place where the Holy Spirit just showed up. Okay, um, so up to now, we've, we've had several chapters of the church just being on a roll. Boom, 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 boom. Holy Spirit showing up here. The Holy Spirit shows up here. And people, even now people in the Roman army are starting to come to Jesus. And there's a, and in Antioch, which is swept through and, and lots of Jews and lots of Gentiles all getting saved in Antioch. This is happening everywhere. And so the Death Star has been destroyed. But... At about the same time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that that pleased the Jews, like the Jewish hierarchy, the, the, the priest, the high priest, and the, 
Not that it pleased all the Jews, but it pleased the Jewish leadership, the core rock-hard, pharisaical, uh, Sanhedrin-y leadership. When he pleased those Jews, he decided to arrest Peter also. I'm sure with the intention of putting Peter to death by the sword. Instantly being put to death by the sword means... Yes, there are worse ways to go, but... Let's all say that together. Okay. Uh, uh, He uh, he proceeded to arrest Peter also, but it was during the days of unleavened bread. And what's the significance of that? Passover. And in the Jewish law, there's actually uh, part of, of the Jewish law that says you have to eat in the days of unleavened bread. It lasts a week. And during the days of unleavened bread leading up to Passover, you can't kill anybody. You can't execute anybody, even if they really deserved it. You can't execute anybody. You have to wait seven days. So he arrested Peter uh, during the days of unleavened bread. So he had to just put him on ice for a while in a prison. And they delivered him to four squads of soldiers to guard him. Which, you know, that's a... That's it. Well, there's, a, there's actually, this is, a, this is a technical term I'll explain in a second, uh, intending after Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. Okay, Herod. Let's talk about Herod for a second. This is a, uh, an artist's sketch of one side of a coin. This... Uh, I started to bring a book to just read you about the Herods because we read in the Bible, well, and Herod the king did this, and Herod the king did that, and Herod the king showed up over here and he did this, and Herod the king made these orders, and Herod the king did... But you know, actually, six Herods. Um, Herod the Great was... These are all Edomites, by the way. They're not really Jews. They were... They were from the, king, the, ancient, the ancient kingdom of Edom, uh, but they were a wealthy family and eventually bought their way into uh, being the king, uh, the, the ruling entity. The, he, Herod, number one, Herod the Great, did a deal with the Roman Empire that allowed him to kind of rule over all of uh, Judea. And, but then he died almost exactly the same time Jesus, just a little after Jesus was born. And then he had this son, he had that son, he had these sons, and there was one Herod that beheaded John. There was one one Herod who was the father of Salome, then he died, and another Herod who beheaded John the Baptist, but they weren't the same Herods. Uh, And eventually you get to Herod Agrippa, who was not, he was considered not to be as worldly and... uh, corrupt as some of the other Herods and he tried at least on the outside he tried to keep a lot of the Jewish rules he tried to keep the law he, he tried to support the Jewish the concept of the Jewish style of worship even though he wasn't really a Jew none of them were Jews um, and um, he wanted to do something to make himself popular with the Jewish people because if the Jewish people if the Jewish rulers didn't like you you had a hard time ruling. Um, the Romans kind of stayed out of the way. They said, Herod, this is you. we put you in charge of this, these people. You, you need to 
keep them straight or we're going to come in there and we're just going to clean house. So he, he arrested James, the brother of John, and executed him. And the, the Sanhedrin, the scribes and the Pharisees, the rulers of the temple said, way to go, Herod. Uh, and so he said, oh, you like that? I can kill more of them. I can kill more Christians if you want me to. Sign me up. Just point me in the right direction. It was all a political stunt. It was a political move to make him feel, to make him look popular, gain the support of the Jewish rulers. Uh, at least when Jesus was crucified, they took the time to try to accuse him of some blasphemous behavior. Herod was just like, no, I'm going to kill you and that'll make them like me better. Because Herod, Herod uh, didn't feel like he was enough. Uh, that means he wouldn't be loved. So his version of do better, try harder was, let's just kill more Christians. That'll make me popular. That'll make the people love me more. So that's Herod, God bless him. We're going to find out some more about him next week. Uh, take, a, take a good look at Herod, the Gri- Herod Agrippa right now. It's probably the last time you're going to see him. <laughs> okay, so, so now we're moving on. On the very night that Herod was about to bring him forward, the very night that Herod was about to call for Jesus, to, I mean, call for, for Peter to be re- taken out of jail so that he could have a fake trial and, or, or just chop his head off, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Now we're back. Peter was, was assigned to four squads of soldiers. This is, this is a technical term called a quaternion. Let's all say that together because why not? Quaternion. Because uh, you, you never know when you might need one. Uh, a quaternion was four groups of four soldiers each. And they were, um, they were when you had a prisoner that you really wanted to uh, keep an eye on, you handed them to the squad, it was a total of 16, but they worked in shifts. Four, uh, however many hours it takes to use up fours. Um, that, anyhow, that was, so it works like this. Yet, of this group of four, squad number one, you have two soldiers, one on either side of the prisoner, chained to the prisoner. One uh, you know, one soldier standing here chained to this arm. One soldier standing here chained to this arm. Then you have the other two soldiers standing guard at the door to make sure that there are no foul-ups like happened when Jesus accidentally rose from the dead. What was that all about? Uh, so they, and, and then they, they had a shift change, um, what, every six hours, and for the meantime, Peter was just, he was strapped to these two soldiers. That's what a squad of four squads is about. Uh, so he was bound with chains and guards were at the front of the door washing over the prison. And then behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and a light shone in the cell and, and he struck Peter's side and said, wake up, wake up, wake up, because... Peter, now, now, you just imagine your, uh, what kind of faith Peter already had. He knows he's probably going to have his head chopped off in the morning. And he's strapped between two soldiers, but he's just snoozing like a baby. So, so, so 
that the, the, the angel even had trouble waking him up. And he, and he evidently must have had his pajamas on. Uh, he, said, he said, pick up, get, get up quickly. And the, the chains fell off of his hands. This set of chains fell off of this soldier. This set of chains fell off of this soldier. But um, like that. Uh, but the angel said, get dressed and put on your sandals. So he's, he was in for the night. He wasn't, he wasn't expecting this at all. Uh, and he said, now wrap your cloak around you, a bathrobe or whatever it was. Just wrap your cloak around you and follow me. <laughs> and, and he went out and Peter continued to follow. But check this out. But he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real. He thought... He was hallucinating, which may have explained why he was so slow to get up and put his clothes on because um, he, didn't, he didn't think this was real anyhow. But, but okay, okay, he thought he was seeing a vision. And they passed the first and the second guard, those other two, the other parts of the squad of four that he hadn't been strapped to. He got past both of those. And they came to the iron gate out of the prison that leads back into the city. And it opened for them by itself and they went out and went along one street and immediately boom the angel departed from him so it's clear to me that that Peter didn't have any expectation that God was going to show up and do something miraculous he didn't I think he was still trusting Jesus I think he was ready to have his head chopped off if that was going to be he was okay with that he was obviously sleeping just fine so much so that when the angel showed up Peter didn't. It was, Peter was shocked. Wow! But it gets more interesting. Then Peter finally woke up and realized. Said, "Now I know for sure that this is real. The Lord sent an angel, and He rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Because what were the Jewish people expecting? They were expecting Peter's head to be chopped off. And now he knows, standing out." standing out in the middle of in, in Jerusalem in the middle of the night that he's, he's free and when he realized this he went to the house of Mary incidentally there's lots of people in the Bible named Mary we don't have any idea which Mary this is I mean we, we try to connect the dots the house of Mary this particular Mary is identified as the mother of John and to make it more complicated John was also called Mark so she's the Mary, who was the mother of John, who was also called Mark. And is this the person that, who later went on and wrote the New Testament? A lot of people think so, but there's some people who also think that there's two Marks, and I want to get into that. Uh, but the one thing that's true is that they went to this house where many were gathered together, and they were praying. They were awake in the middle of the night. While Peter was asleep, they were awake in the middle of the night, interceding for God to do something about Peter's situation. And maybe, who else, who else, who, who knows what else that they were praying about. But they were awake in the middle of the night and they were praying. And when Peter knocked on the door, or knocked on the door of the gate, which is, means the outside of the courtyard, there's people in the house and then there's a courtyard and there's a, 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 a gate that leads into the courtyard. And so Peter knocks on the door to the gate and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And she recognized Peter's voice, uh, but because she was so excited, she didn't open the gate. She ran back into the house and said, hey, everybody, it's a miracle. 
She announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate and they said to you, and, and honestly, this, this is what they said, are you out of your mind, S- silly girl? Are you crazy? Now, now go ahead and leave us alone because we're sitting here and we've got to be praying for Peter to be set free from jail. Now go away. And she said, no, seriously, it was Peter. And they said, no, 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 we're still praying for Peter to be released. You're probably just seeing his angel. Maybe he's already dead and it's his ghost. We're just, we're praying for it, so don't stop bothering. But, uh, but Peter kept knocking. Hello? Hello, is there anybody out there? Uh, and so they opened the door and they saw them and... They were amazed. <laughs> they were, uh, they, by this time, the church had seen a lot of miraculous stuff, right? Uh, they had been praying desperately. God set Peter from, free from prison. God protect Peter. God be with Peter. And yet, when they opened the door and they saw him, I can't believe God just answered our prayer. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Doggies, look at this. Well, surprise, surprise, surprise. This is, a, this is fantastic. Uh, but motioning to, to them with his hand to be silent, because I guess by the, now, that, now they're really excited. He described to them how the Lord had led him out of prison. And he said, report these things to James and the brethren. And then he got out of Dodge. Went to another place, doesn't say where. And this is probably the most hysterical slapstick scene in the entire Bible. Um, but it's just so human. It's just so human. We believe in God, and then when God moves, we don't believe it. Uh, and that's just what it is to be human. God, uh, God is faithful. Even when, we, even, when we're, even when we're trusting Him, we don't expect that He's faithful anyhow. Um, just a little side brushing. Report these things to James. James who? James, the brother of Jesus. This is, at this point now, it's absolutely clear, solidly clear. Uh, this is the first time that we know for sure that the head of the church in Jerusalem is not Peter. Since Peter, Peter was consistently the most prominent of the disciples all through the Gospels, mostly for what he did wrong, but he was, he was, clearly, the, he was clearly the larger in life. You know, of all of the merry men, he was like the little John. He was, he, you know, he was the guy, he was strong, he was there, he was dependable, he was, uh, was going to tell Jesus what to do if he had to. He was not afraid to speak, even though he was always, always wrong. And he just sort of assumed that, well, with Jesus out of the way, Peter would step in and fill the vacuum. But now it's clear that James is the head of the church. And this, honestly, is the first time that we heard anything about James since back in the Gospels when, when James and the other of Jesus' half-brothers were trying to drag him back out of the ministry field drag, and drag him back home to say, Stop doing this! You have to come home. You haven't finished your chores. Mother needs you to come back and finish those cabinets you started last year. And you, and, uh, you can't, 
um, you've got a family and you've turned your back on us and and you've got to stop acting like this crazy person. Who do you think you are? Jeremiah or one of the prophets? You've just got to come back to earth. Get a grip, man. Come back to reality. And now suddenly, James is the head of the church, and Peter's reporting to him. And he says, look, go ahead and tell James, the rest of the brethren, what's happened. I'll check you later. This is fantastic. Talk about a twist. Um, well, I didn't. I thought I'd, I'm going to punch this again. So now, meanwhile, back at the prison, when they came, I love sometimes Luke's um, gift for understatement. Now, when they came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers <laughs> as to. What could they have become of Peter? <laughs> they slept through the whole thing. <laughs> they wake up and and not only I mean not only is he not in the cell with the other two guys on the outside of the door, they um, they just didn't they couldn't find him. When Herod had searched for him and didn't find him, he examined the guards. They had a little conversation and ordered them to be led away. It doesn't say that the words to execution aren't there, but it's implied because he, they weren't being led away to go on a cruise. They were just sort of led away. And then he left town. He went from Judea down to Caesarea and was just spending time for there because there, he was done with being around crazy Jews for a while. Hmm? Yeah, Herod. He was just done. He just left town. Caesarea, I... Uh, I assume we're probably maybe talking about Caesarea Philippi, which is um, in the Caesarea Maritima and the Caesarea Philippi. Um, but Philippi is named for for Philip, the son of Herod. So anyhow, not that you need to care about any of that. Um, the point is. Here's some stuff. Here's some takeaways. Now, we're getting to that part of the book of, book of Acts instantly where there's long stories now. There's, you know, the early part of the book of Acts, there was like five or six really important things that would happen in the course of just one book. Boom, this happened. Boom, this happened. Boom, this Now we've got lots of long narrative, and they're fun stories. They're interesting stories. But the, there are messages inside the stories that we still need to keep up with. So the point, first of all, is that the, the, the church should always be devoted to fervent prayer, Right? Even if it is in the middle of the night, um, we are called to keep on keeping on interceding and, and not and never give up. It also helps if you expect answers, <laughs> since it seemed to me that they weren't they were so surprised when they saw the answer that they didn't even see the answer. Sometimes we have a hard time recognizing when God is answering our prayers. You know, like with my heart situation, God said, "I'm going to heal your heart." I prayed, "God, thank you for healing my heart." Uh, um, what was I? What was I expecting? Was I was I expecting? Um, I didn't know what I was expecting. Was I expecting God to just supernaturally give me a new heart? That would have been fine. I wasn't expecting to discover that there was this treatment that would heal my heart. Uh, so sometimes you just got you've got to keep on praying and and expecting answers and expecting to be surprised by the answers. I don't know what they expected while they were praying for Peter, but it was obvious that they did not expect for Peter to show up at the house. 
because, um, because they refuse to believe it. So don't tell God how he has to answer your prayers. Just expect him to answer in the ways that's going to give him the most glory. So that hopefully I learned that. Now, worldly power is going to always resist the kingdom of God or manipulate God's people, one of the two. We've got Herod here who's only interested in preserving his power. And there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in politics, always has been, even today, where you've got politicians currying favor with the church. Uh, on, on both sides of the aisle, you've got people currying favor with people in the church. Um, and, the, and here's what just bugs the heck out of me. The church just eats that up. Oh, look, this politician wants to talk to us. Oh, this politician's on our side. Politicians are never on anybody's side except for whose? Their own. Um, And I I don't have time to get off in the ditch on this because I I worked for the Texas legislature for five or six years. And there's something about being elected to a public office, even if you're elected with the right motives, even if you're elected hoping to do some kind of good, even if you're elected with the perspective of I'm just here to serve Jesus and I'm just going to be his voice here at the state capitol or Washington, D.C. But once you are elected, you know what your main goal is? Get reelected. And you even say to yourself, it's just, I, can't, I have to focus on getting reelected because I can't do all the good that God sent me here to do if I don't get reelected. And so you, you gradually over time lose sight of who you are in Christ Jesus because now you are in the capital. Um, politics and the church never mix. Uh, even sincere politicians um, serve a different master once they... I mean, it's, it, you just, obviously you need to pray for your leaders, but it's just it's such a risk for Christians to think, oh, now our country's going to be all better because we have 100%. All, we, we elected all... Everybody that, that we elected this term... Uh, they're all Christians, so that's going to fix all of our problems. Who is it that fixes our problems? Jesus. Jesus working by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the minute you focus your faith on anything but Jesus, and he can use elected officials. I'm not saying that he doesn't sometimes. But our hope is not in politics. Our hope is not in rulers. Our hope can never, we can never lose focus. We can never lose sight of Jesus. Because worldly power will always resist the goals of the kingdom. Or they will manipulate God's people. And that's what Herod was doing. Pure and simple. Herod was just tricking uh, the Jews into thinking that he was doing something good for them when he was really doing something good for him. Oh, yeah. And by the way, our God is greater than the enemy schemes. The best... This was state-of-the-art security. You understand, this was state-of-the-art security. What, when they put Peter in jail, this was like uh, the, the super most... They couldn't get any better than they had... Like, this was the first-century equivalent of retinal scanners and um, those fancy safes with time locks and all that kind of stuff. They had locked people away in the best security... Peter, in the best security money could buy. All it took was one angel walking through and waking. Come on, Peter, wake up. Wake up. We're getting out of here. Boom. God is greater than the enemy's schemes. God is is always one step ahead of the enemy, no matter how smart the enemy thinks he is. And God's plan is, God has already got a plan 
for outdoing whatever the enemy thinks that he has on us or God's plans. When God answers, sometimes even believers refuse to believe. We've already talked about that. Um, You've got to start out by believing that God is faithful. And it's only a matter of watching and seeing how God's going to move. Don't give up on anyone because God never does. And here I'm talking about James. James just James was about as far away from being with the program as you could. I mean, Jesus had disciples. None of Jesus' brothers showed up as disciples. Jesus, he left home, he left home, and he started recruiting other people to be his family. As a matter of fact, when James and his brother said, come home, come home, come home to your family, well, Jesus had the unmitigated nerve to say, this is my family. What are you talking about? I've got my family right here. Slap! They must have gone home crushed and angry and bitter. And I don't I know that Jesus and James ever spoke after that. We don't know. We can, you have to make up the story. But the point is that whew, one of the first people that Jesus spoke to after he rose from the dead, and we, we know this from Paul's discussion in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul makes a list of all the people that Jesus appeared to. Said Jesus personally went to James. And was reconciled to him. And not just reconciled, but apparently, through some process that we don't understand, imparted a gifting or an anointing or an assignment onto James, even though James missed the entire first two acts of the play. He comes in uh, the third act and and is suddenly given a major role. Don't give up on anyone. Jesus never gave up on James. Don't give up on anyone. Sometimes you have to get some distance. I will say this. Sometimes when people are, and they can be in stages in their lives where they're just not safe to be around. And so for your benefit and sometimes for the benefit of other people that you love, you have to take a couple of steps back um, so that you're not getting sucked into their drama. But don't give up. You don't give up on people because clearly God never does. You just have to, sometimes you just have to pray fervently. Sometimes in the middle of the night, continuing to pray fervently. You put it in God's hands and wait for Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one who can write the final chapter in anybody's life. You don't give up even if they are a Democrat, even if they are a Republican, even if they are a communist, even if they are an axe murderer. I mean, you just don't give up because Jesus doesn't. So in this tremendous scenario, we just see this is now life. This is normal. This is the normal Christian life in the first century church. People get supernaturally. Sometimes people get their heads chopped off. What's that about? 
Sometimes people get set free from prison. Why did God, why did God set Peter free from prison and, have, and let James, the brother of Jesus' heads be chopped off? I don't know. Obviously, James, the brother of Jesus, got a head start to heaven. And, and if, if, you, if you could have reached out to James, the brother of Jesus in heaven, and said, hey, you know what? God changed his mind. He's going to put your head back on and you're going to come back to life. James would have said what? No. Uh, it was a little traumatic the way I got here. But now that I'm here, I couldn't be happier. Don't send me back. Don't. Please don't send me back. We look at it as, oh, how tragic. James, the brother of Jesus, got his head chopped off. No, James, the brother of Jesus, got promoted. Lucky dog. Uh, God has a purpose for everything he does. Don't try to figure it out. Just trust him. Just trust him and don't be surprised if he brings people back in that you thought were lost forever. Don't be surprised if he answers your prayers in a way that you never expected. Just expect God to be faithful. All right? Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your mercy towards us. Thank you for your loving kindness. Thank you, Lord, for the times in our own lives when we have seen chains just fall away. Thank you, Lord, for those times when you have brought us back when we were so far away we couldn't find our own way back. Thank you, God, for always answering prayers in the way that gives you the most glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.